Section 14 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2. Book 2, Chapter 13. Bee-Eaters, Mot-Mots, Toadies, Collies, and Trogons by W. P. Pycraft. In the present chapter we deal with a number of birds of singular beauty and gracefulness. In their coloration green predominates, thus recalling the rollers, parrots, plantain-eaters, and kingfishers, all of which groups, as we have seen, contain a large proportion of green species. The bee-eaters, like the kingfishers, hornbills, and hoopoes, have a foot of quite peculiar structure, the middle and outer toes being joined together throughout the greater part of their length. They are an old-world group, ranging from the British Islands to Australia, in the American continent their place being taken by the motmots and jacamars, of which we shall speak presently. They are especially plentiful in the African region, somewhat less so in the Indian, the temperate regions of the Old World possessing but few species. On rare occasions one species visits the British islands. This is, furthermore, one of the most beautiful of the group. It has the head, neck, upper back, and broad wing bar of a ruddy brown color, the lower back buff color, green wings and tail, with black tips to the middle tail feathers, which are longer than the rest. The forehead is pale green and white, the ear coverts are black, and the throat bright yellow, divided from the greenish-blue underparts by a black band. The name bee-eater, writes Mr. Evans, is well deserved, for in Spain it is a perfect pest to the beekeeper, catching the workers as they enter and leave the hives. Like the kingfishers, the indigestible parts of the food are cast up and deposited around the eggs, though bee-eaters do not appear to form a nest of them, as with kingfishers. From four to six eggs of a beautiful glossy white color are deposited in holes and banks, or, and this is worthy of special notice, in tunnels bored vertically downwards in level ground for a distance of from three to ten feet. How this is done is a mystery, for the bird's beak and feet look by no means equal to such a task. No nest appears to be made, the eggs being deposited at the extremity of the burrow without further preparation. Two species of the group, however, are said to form an exception, constructing a nest of straw and feathers. These two, as well as members of the genus to which the British bird belongs, apparently breed in colonies. Unfortunately for the bee-eater, its flesh is palatable, whilst its plumage is in great demand for millinery purposes. Its persecution is of long standing, since more than three hundred years ago Bellon witnessed a particularly cruel experiment practiced by the boys in Crete. Transfixing a beetle with a bent pin, to the head of which a thread was tied, and then holding its other end with their hand, they would let the insect fly. The bee-eater, which catches most of its prey on the wing, would dart upon it, and, swallowing the bait, be caught by the hook. Not unlike the bee-eaters in general appearance and coloration, the mot-mots are birds of peculiar interest, and this is on account of a remarkable habit of one of their tribe, a habit which is perfectly unique, and to which we shall return presently. Belonging, as we have already remarked, to the New World, they range from southern Mexico to Paraguay, inhabiting dense forests, and being but rarely seen. The plumage is somewhat loose in the character, green, blue, cinnamon, and black in color. The beak has the margins serrated, or saw-like, whilst the feet resemble those of the kingfishers and bee-eaters. As with the bee-eaters, no nest is made. The eggs, three or four in number and creamy white in color, are deposited in a hole bored by the birds themselves in a tree or bank both sexes sharing in the work of incubation. Their food consists of insects caught in the air, small reptiles, and fruit. The remarkable habit to which we have referred is displayed by the species known as the racket-tailed motmot, 
from the fact that the two middle tail feathers project beyond the others, and have the greater part of the shaft bare, but terminating in a spoon-shaped expansion. In this there is nothing unusual, for such racket feathers are common amongst birds. In this particular case, however, the feathers were originally entire, and acquired their characteristic shape artificially, the bird nibbling away the vein on either side of the shaft with its bill until the required shape is obtained. Such an act of conscious decoration on the part of the bird is elsewhere unknown throughout the whole class. The toadies are diminutive allies of the motmots, frequenting hilly districts and woods. They sit with the beak pointed upwards, the head drawn in close to the body, and the plumage puffed out, apparently oblivious of all around them. At least it would seem so, since at such times they may be caught with a butterfly net. Like their larger allies, they are green in coloration, but have a light red throat, and yellowish-white or pinkish underparts, with green or pink flank feathers. They vary in length from three to four and a half inches. The collies, or mouse birds, of South Africa are small, crested, long-tailed, loose-plumaged birds whose exact relationships are somewhat puzzling. The name mouse bird is given on account of the habit of creeping along the boughs of trees with the whole foot applied to the branch. The toes are peculiar in that all turn forwards, and are so commonly retained. About ten species are known, ranging from Abyssinia southwards. Resplendent without doubt are the majority of the forms which we have been lately considering, but probably the palm for gorgeous coloration should be given to the trogons. At least they must be allowed to share the honors with the hummingbirds. The most splendid of all is the quezzle, the male of which has a train of great length, resembling at first sight a tail. But, as in the peacock, this is formed by enormously elongated tail coverts, concealing the true tail. These tail coverts differ, however, markedly from those in the peacock in that they are not erectile, but pendant. The head is ornamented with a large rounded crest, the ground color of the upper parts of the plumage is of brilliant metallic green, the underparts from the chest downwards are of a deep blood red. Certain of the covert feathers of the wing form elegant drooping plumes, hanging down on either side and giving a wonderfully beautiful effect. The late Mr. Salvin's account of this bird in its wild state is well worth quoting. Hunting with a native for this bird in the forest, where alone it is to be met with, he writes, a distant clattering note indicates that the bird is on the wing. He settles, a splendid male, on a bough of a tree, not seventy yards from where we are hidden. Cipriano wants to creep up to within shot, but I keep him back, wishing to risk the chance of losing a specimen rather than miss such an opportunity of seeing the bird in its living state, and of watching its movements. It sits almost motionless on its perch, the body remaining in the same position, the head only moving side to side. The tail is occasionally jerked open and closed again, and now and then slightly raised, causing the long tail coverts to vibrate gracefully. I have not seen all. A ripe fruit catches the quezzle's eye, and he darts from his perch, hovers for a moment, picks the berry, and returns to his former position. This is done with a degree of elegance that defies description. End of section 14. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.